Welcome to Retirement Plans A to Z. I'm Sue Burnett with Monarch Financial Advisors, and this series focuses on qualified retirement plans. There are a lot of moving pieces with these plans, and the rules are complicated and complex, so we're going to break them down into smaller pieces, 26 pieces to be exact, from A to Z, with maybe a few extras thrown in just for good measure. episode focuses on the letter V for vesting and eligibility. What is vesting and how is it used in plan design? How strict can you as a business owner set that vesting or the eligibility to get into the plan? I'm a business owner and I don't want any of my employees in the plan. I just want it for myself. Is that legit? Let's talk it through. So we're going to talk about eligibility first, which is what you need to do in order to get into the plan. Yeah, because you need to decide how to get in before you can decide what you're entitled to. In this episode, we're not talking about SEPs and SIMPLES, because there the vesting is 100% immediate. That means as soon as $1 goes in, the employee is eligible to take that dollar if they quit the next day. So what we're going to talk about here is profit sharing plans with 401k or without, and defined benefit plans. Now here's a fun fact, before ERISA, which is big pension legislation that was enacted in the early 70s, participation, eligibility, and vesting were all over the place. There were no rules, no requirements. It was like the Wild West. For example, American Express had a plan where you needed to be age 60 and have worked for the business for 20 years before you'd be given anything. ERISA established participation and eligibility rules. In addition, they said that vesting needed to be within 10 years, which means if you work for a company for 10 years full-time, you needed to be eligible for a benefit, and eventually that was changed to be even lower. So now let's talk about eligibility. The IRS has some safe harbor provisions, which means if you adopt those provisions, then you're good to go. You get an automatic free pass. And these provisions restrict who comes into your plan. So you don't have to allow employees that are under the age of 21 or who have worked for less than a year into that plan. You can also exclude part-timers, defined as someone that works less than 1,000 hours. So someone working three days a week is probably closer to 1,200 hours. Even though you consider them part-time, they're full-time in the eyes of the IRS. Somebody that works 40 hours a week, from May through August, for example, you may consider them full-time, but by an hour's calculation, they wouldn't go into the plan. So by the IRS, when we're looking at that hours, three days a week might be full-time, but 40 hours a week for five months may not be. Now you can always relax these restrictions. Remember, this is your safe harbor for as strict as you can go. If you wanted to lower the age to get into the plan to be 18, sure. If you wanted to lower the hours requirement to 500 hours, because maybe your spouse only works two days a week at the business and you wanted to let them into the plan, absolutely. If you wanna allow immediate eligibility for anybody that was hired before a certain date, of course. You can always let more people in. These rules just give you the maximum number of people you can exclude. Now, if you wanted to prevent people from coming in for as long as possible, there's one way you can do it. 
you can require a two-year wait instead of that one-year wait for the safe harbor. So this means an employee would need to work at least two years at 1,000 hours a year to come into the plan. But once they're in, they get immediate vesting, which means any benefit that they've accrued in those two years, they are eligible for right off the bat. They can leave one day after two years and they get their full benefit. There are definitely pros and cons to this. There is a longer wait to get in, but then they get that benefit immediately. So depending on your employees and the turnover you experience, this may be a good option or it may not be. One other way to restrict who enters the plan and gets a benefit is to fully exclude particular groups of people. Usually this is based on a particular job title or a location. So in the eligibility section of your plan document, it'll specify the group as not being eligible for the plan at all, regardless of if they're 21 or if they've worked full time for a year, it doesn't matter. So large businesses do this all the time. In general, they might have a salaried plan and they might have an hourly plan. So they might have two retirement plans or they might have multiple hourly plans for different unions. In the salaried plan, for example, the excluded employees would be any hourly employee. And in a union plan, the excluded employees would be any salaried employees or any hourly ones that aren't in the union. So you can exclude full groups of people and you can let some in and not others. But some of the tests that we need to run, we need to make sure that that plan isn't discriminating against particular employees. So there's numbers of people that need to be included. You can't exclude too many. So to that business owner that only wants to have himself in the plan and not any of the employees, that answer is no. So here's a fun fact. I designed a plan a few years ago for a doctor's office with 150 employees. The owners were two doctors, they were husband and wife. So using the rules, and we tried to exclude as many people as possible, we only ended up covering 40 employees plus the two doctors. And almost 90% of that total contribution went to those two doctors as the owners. So you can't exclude everybody, but boy, sometimes you can exclude an awful lot of them. So those are the options for restricting the eligibility for the plan or how you can even get in. But once you're in, how long can you require your people to work before you have to give them their full benefit? Now for 401k contributions or safe harbor contributions, which was covered in episode T, those dollars are vested immediately. So we're talking about profit sharing dollars or defined benefit plan contributions now. There are two IRS safe harbors for this as well. So the first is a five year cliff. So similar to falling off a cliff, either you've fallen or you haven't. And with this, either you work for five years at a thousand hours per year and you get your full benefit or you haven't and you get nothing. The IRS has an additional rule that says if the plan is top heavy, that five years needs to be a three year cliff. Now the plans we design are top heavy, which means the majority of the benefit goes to the owners. We're always aiming for a top heavy plan. So more often than not, the plans that we design are going to have a three year cliff. You see this a lot in defined benefit plans where they get the entire benefit after three years or they get nothing. Now the other safe harbor is called a six year graded vesting schedule. And in this schedule, you need to work for six years before you're eligible for your entire benefit. You do get vested in portions of it along the way though. After two years, you're eligible for 20%. 
and then it goes up 20% a year after that. So from year two, you're vested in 20%, then you're vested in 40%, then 60, then 80, finally 100% after year six. This is really common in profit sharing plans where you get a piece of the benefit paid out if you leave prior to six years. Now, if the employee is vested and they leave, they're eligible for a distribution. So the plan administrator would need to provide them with whatever paperwork they need to choose how they want to receive their benefit. There's a podcast in our series on distributions for episode D. But what if that employee is not vested or they're only partially vested and they leave? What happens to the money that's in there for them? So money that they aren't vested in is called a forfeiture because the employee is forfeiting that portion of their benefit. That money stays in the plan and it's up to the owner how that forfeiture is treated. For a defined benefit plan, that money is usually used to offset some required payments for the next year. So let's say a business needs to contribute $100,000 and there's 5,000 in forfeitures. Well, now the business only needs to contribute 95,000. In a profit sharing plan, you can do the same thing or you can just allocate it to all the remaining participants pro rata by their profit sharing balances. So there are definitely options, but in all cases, that money needs to stay in the plan. It cannot come out and go back into the company's accounts. Also, the owner doesn't need to explicitly choose these forfeiture options every year. They choose it once when the plan is being set up and the allocation of these forfeitures is specified in the plan document. For our final fun fact, one of the most creative ways I've ever seen to use eligibility investing came from a business where their eligibility included everyone and they just let everyone into the plan. It was immediate eligibility, no hours requirement, no year of service, no age 21. And then they excluded all job classes except for the part-time employees. So this minimized costs because contributions for employees are usually a percent of pay. And if you're only working 10 to 20 hours a week, you're not getting paid much. So your percent of pay wasn't that much. They also did three year cliff vesting. Now, most of these people were gone within a year anyway, so they didn't have any vested benefit. Very few made it through to those three years. And even when they made it, there was a pretty low dollar amount. So it didn't materially impact anything most of that contribution went right to the owners. It was pretty creative and within the rules. Wrapping it all up, owners can definitely put rules and restrictions on when employees are eligible to be a participant in the plan and when they're actually vested to take their benefit. The IRS has some safe harbors which are automatically approved, but you can always relax those restrictions. You just can't make them more strict. How that owner sets up the business is totally up to them. We can just help make sure that that plan is structured in the way that's best for the business, and we can give that owner the pros and cons of the different eligibility and vesting requirements. Want to learn more? Tune into the other A to Z podcasts where we continue to break down these wonderful and complex plans into bite-sized pieces. Remember, how do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. Have any questions? Shoot me an email at monarchfinancialadvisors at gmail.com. Thanks for listening in and have a great rest of your day.